Nedarim, Perik Base, Mishnah Aleph, 2-1. Now the Mishnah turns attention to formulations of Nedarim which are not effective. And the basis for essentially all of this Mishnah is the Pasuk when it says, Ish ki yidor neder l'ashem, when a person vows a vow to Hashem, and that yidor neder vows a vow, because that seems superfluous, Chazal Darshan, ad sheyadur badavar hanador, it's not effective unless a person makes a neder equating that which he wants to forbid, we'll call that the pen or the apple, um, to something which is already forbidden by virtue of a previous declaration. The Isser, I say, your pen or your apple is forbidden to me like a korban. The korban's forbidden because someone declared it to be such, um, and that would be effective. But if I say, your pen or your apple, I can't eat your apple, it's forbidden to me like I can't eat pork chops, that would not be effective because pork chops are forbidden not because someone declared them to be such, but rather because the Torah said, no pork chops. And that's exactly what the Mishnah says. The Mishnah says inside, mutarim, the following attempts at effecting a neder are not effective, and therefore the thing which you tried to forbid when I forbid when I said when I said, you know, your apple's forbidden to me like fill in the blank, the apple remains permitted, and there's no need even to go to a chacham or a bezdin to do mater neder, even though I tried to effect a neder to make your apple forbidden to me. No, it doesn't it doesn't work, and the apple remains permitted. For example, Chulin Sha'an if I say that of which that of yours of which I eat is like chulin to me, your apple is forbidden. Is your apple is like chulin to me? So then, that certainly is not effective in making the apple forbidden. The apple remains permitted, and not much of a chiddush over there. We're just sort of setting the baseline to say that even though a person's talking as if he's making the dharam, nothing has to happen at all. And therefore, similarly, if I say. Your apple is forbidden to me, kibsar chazir, like, literally means like the meat of a pig, meaning like pork. So, again, that's not effective, because what makes pork forbidden is the Shem said, no non-kosher animals, and pork is an example of any unkosher meat, and that's not a dover and a door. Didn't become, the pork didn't become forbidden because someone said it's forbidden, rather the Torah said it. Similarly, Kavodazara, if I say your apple's forbidden to me like Avodazara, not effective. Now, Avodazara is a bit of a chiddush here, as much as um, for something to become forbidden as an Avodazara, as an idol, so therefore um, something had, it had to be either an action or some sort of declaration had to occur. In other words, a Barbie doll. A Barbie doll is not Asr Bahana because it's not an idol. It's just a figurine. If I say, this Barbie is my god, so now I've elevated the doll to being an idol, at which point it becomes Asr Bahana. And Torah forbids any benefit now from that Barbie doll um, because it's been promoted to being an idol. But it only became an idol because I said it was. The truth is, you also could act that way if a person bows down to the Barbie doll or brings an offering to the Barbie doll, also promotes it to being an idol. The point is, even though the Barbie doll might have become a Barbie doll idol and forbidden for any benefit by virtue of someone declaring it to be such, Still, that's not significant. It doesn't matter in this context because when a person says bar- the Barbie doll is an idol, while it's true the Barbie doll then becomes Asr Bahana, the declaration to make it into an idol wasn't about effecting Isser. That was something else. There's, it, that that come along. It was effecting the status of this figurine to become an idol. So that's not going to be enough to make it like a Dabar Hanador. Similarly, if I say Ka'oros Levuvin, 
Oris levuvin are hides of an animal um, that had been ripped open while the animal was alive to access the animal's heart. So this is like a way that they did some idolatrous practices. They would sacrifice like the actual heart from of the animal to their idol. So they cut the animal open and like reach and grab, pull out the heart, like the Aztecs used to do. So um, the point is that once one does that, it turns the sacrificial animal into a sacrifice that was offered to an idol and forevermore becomes forbidden Bahana. So, again, the reason why that this animal hide is forbidden is because it was part and parcel of its animal which was offered as a sacrifice. And, of course, even if just the heart itself was offered, it's like analogous to, like, you know, shakti animal and offering its blood. If the rest of the carcass still is part of the sacrifice and forbidden... It was offered to an idol, and so so too over here. Um, the difference between an offering brought to an idol and the idol itself is that an idol actually can be um, deconsecrated. If a non-Jew declares a barber doll to be an idol, they can later on change their mind and say, no, it's not a barber doll, and that's just a barber doll. They can do an act which would show that it's not an idol anymore. You know, I don't know, clip off its head or something. The point is, it can be demoted and degraded back to being not an idol, just a figurine, whereas the offering, like to an idol is always going to remain forbidden and that would include the hide which was part of the animal before it had its hide cut open and the heart taken out if a person says your apple's forbidden to me like any of those kind of things nevelos are carcasses of animals that didn't get shechita like a dead cow didn't get shechita which is of course also from the Torah trephos is an animal which is not kosher because it has some mortal wound that will die within 12 months perforated lungs or something like that. Again, not kosher. Or shkatsim. Shkatsim are little creepy crawly animals that are not kosher, like a, I don't know, like a toad and a owl and a, a whatever, a catfish, stuff like that. Those are shkatsim. Romasim are other creepy crawlies that appear like kind of like um, like worms and maggots in decaying, you know, rotting materials. So all those things the Torah prohibits, but it's the Torah that's prohibiting it. It's not a dover and a door. And therefore, if a person says, your apple's forbidden like one of those things, not effective. If a person says, if I say, your apple's forbidden to me like chala or like truma, meaning chala, meaning the hafrash's chala, the separation that's taken from dough to give to a kohen, or truma, the separation that's taken from the grain or the oil or the wine to give to a kohen. So that separation, that gift is called truma, or in the case of the dough, chala. And the Torah prohibits those, of course. If you're not a Kohen, you can't eat them under penalty of uh, death at the hands of heaven. That's pretty severe. But if I, if I say my apple's forbidden like Chala or like Truma, that's not effective. Now, there's a Chiddush here, a big Chiddush here, which is that for something to become Chala or to become Truma, it actually requires a verbal declaration called Kriyas Shame, declaring its name. So you might recall from Masechus Trumas, etc., if you learn those Masechus, you when you say, or even if you see someone do it or you done it yourself, you know on a, on a you make a batch of dough to make your bread for Shabbos. So if the recipe's got enough flour inside of it, then you'll separate a piece of the dough and you'll make a bracha, hafreshes chala mina isa, and then you'll actually say harei zu chala. You declare that piece of dough to be chala, or you declare a portion of the truma to be truma. So you need a kriya shame, you need a verbal declaration, and that's what makes the thing usher. So that sounds quite similar to. Davar um, door where you're creating Isser by declaration, and therefore you might think it would work to say the apple's forbidden like Chala or like Truma, um, but it doesn't. Because again, kind of like what I had said before regarding the idol, when you say Harezu Chala, you're not actually 
intending to make it forbidden. To the contrary, you're trying to make the dough permitted, and this, the rest of the dough, the batch of dough, and this piece of dough you separated, the challah, that's going to a kohen as well. You're not intending to make it usher to anybody. It happens to be usher, and by virtue of the fact that it's got these restrictions in the Torah, as challah or as chuma, but you're not making it into iser. And um, the difference really is that when it comes to separating challah or truma, that's something that's obligatory by the Torah. It's not an optional thing. You're not like opting to give a gift that makes me usher. So it's not the same thing. And therefore, saying your apples like challah or truma to make an usher would not be effective. The apple remains permitted. The actual words of the Mishnah, this is just referring to Aaron HaKohen, who was the first Kohen, so we're sort of naming after him. Chalas Aaron, meaning a separation of challah for the Kohanim, like Aaron, who's the prototypical Cohen, and same goes Trumaso, the Truma, the gift that's Truma Gedola, Trumas Meister, etc., that's given to the Cohen. All those things, mutter. All those things are not effective, meaning ones they're unbound and one could sleep the apple in the case I gave as the example. Now if you read the mission read the sentence in one, you know, one breath instead of breaking it up as I did over, you know, nine minutes, so then um, you would and see, this word mutter seems to be superfluous because the Mishnah starts out by saying, Elu mutarim, the following are mutter. Then it gives example, 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 mutter. So that seems mutter seems to be unnecessary, redundant. But really, it's coming to differentiate between um, the next case. Because the next case we're about to have, really, midoraisa also should be mutter, but we're going to say midrabun, it's usr, and one needs to go to a chacham. So while those things are not effective and no chacham required, the following case, haomer leishto, if one attempts to forbid his wife, from him by saying you are forbidden to me like my mother just I can't sleep with the mother I can't sleep with you an attempt to make her like an iser nether by doing hatfasa to his like to his mother so even though midorais that's not going to work because the iser of sleeping with one's mother is not uh, is like eating pork chops it's based on psukim it's not based on taranador even so we still force him to go to a chacham an expert in Nadarim or to a bezin of three, and they can't even use charata. That's a technical issue about how they relieve him of that vow, release him of that vow. Simply just saying he regrets making the vow is not enough. It has to be yet to find a, a pesach. Pesach means that he we find some consequence of the vow that we didn't consider at the time, didn't consider at the time to un, un, to, to annul the vow. And the reason why we do that, specifically in this case of one taking a vow against his wife, is shlo yakil rosho lakach. So he shouldn't be literally something like lightheaded in this matter. But the point is, he shouldn't um, be cavalier and flippant about forbidding his wife to him. That's no joke. Um, you could ruin a, a marriage, ruin a life like that. And therefore, even though it shouldn't be binding with Orisa, we're afraid that next time he'll employ a formulation which would be effective. Like if he says, "You are forbidden to me." Um, We'll see in the mission later on. If I say, if we say certain things, you know, if he forbids his wife in an effective way, then he could be stuck. And that being the case, we make him go through this whole rigmarole of doing hatars and so I realize this is no joke. Now, the next sentence in the Mishnah is like a new Mishnah. In fact, in the Gemara, it's like a whole new Mishnah altogether. If a person says, Konam she'eni yashen, a person says, literally means the words are translated, konam is a, we've seen already, is like a kinui for korban, an offering, she'eni yashen, that I shall not sleep. So the point is a person saying, sleeping is forbidden to me like a korban. Or similarly, if he says, she'eni medaber, I shall not speak. So speaking is forbidden to me like a korban. Or she'eni mahalech, I shall not walk. So walking is forbidden to me like a korban. So all those cases, um, they are going to be, on a derised level, not effective. 
And the reason is because, remember, we said for a neder to work, it has to be on the chayfetz, it has to be on an object, it has to be on something which has a, a davar sheyesh mamash and with substance. Um, and when it comes to sleeping or speaking or walking, those are actions, they don't have a substance to them, and therefore neder should not be binding. But while it's not binding with Araisa, it is binding with Rabbanon. As we'll see in a moment, um, and therefore he would he would need to, you know, deal with the consequences of that, rabbinically being bound. Um, ishto, an, a similar case: if a person says to his wife, "Konam she'eni misham sheikh," if a person says, "The benefit that I enjoy from sleeping with you is forbidden to me like a korban," so again, well, that's not on a thing with substance, but it's. Enough to say that rabbinically it should be forbidden, which would be binding, and therefore in all those cases, In all these cases, if one would, um, after making such a vow, if one would sleep or speak or walk or sleep with his wife, he'd be over the iser derabanan, dafka derabanan, of extension of the iser of below yachel devaro, of of not profaning what one says. Now. Um, the wife issue is a little more complicated, and um, the the issue is as, as follows: He has to formulate it as I said. If he would say, like for example, my body is forbidden to you, so while that you think sounds better, in as much as his body is a davar sheish mamash, it has a thing, so he could forbid that you think to her. That actually would not be effective at all because she already a wife already has a shibud on her husband's body. He committed to her in marriage to be his, her husband. Therefore, he has obligations to her, and she has a pre-existing claim on his body. So, therefore, she can't now. He can't like try to undo that. It will not be effective. Um, similarly, if a person even takes a shvua, and that will become the topic of the last sentence of our mission here, which is like almost like a new mission again in the Gemara again. It's a new mission. Um, if a person says something like a shvua, I swear she'eni yashin that I'm not going to sleep, or I swear she'eni medaber that I'm not going to speak. Or she'eni mahalech, or that I'm not going to walk, a sur that is binding. Now, the reason why it's binding, it's binding midoraisa, is because unlike a neder, a shvua goes on the person, not on an object, on the gava, not the chayfetz. And the gava, the person, he can forbid, like verbs, not doing stuff. So if I say, I swear I shall not sleep, or talk, or walk, that is binding midoraisa, unlike the previous case, which is durabanan. Now, here, well, the Mishnah says in those three cases, Asur, that he's bound, um, and he cannot do those things, can't sleep or walk or eat. It doesn't mention that fourth case about the wife. Because if a person would take a Shvua, and say, I take a Shvua not to sleep with you, that would not be binding, because a person can't take a Shvua against that which already his, he's pre-committed to. He already has an existing commitment, and a Torah binding commitment. So since he already committed to be married to his wife, and he has obligations to her, he can't take a, a Shvua, an oath, and um, and relieve himself or abrogate those pre-existing commitments. So let me just give a, an example, a different example, to make sure this is clear. If I say, I take a shvua that I will not put on tefillin today. So that shvua is not binding, because God already said back at Harsinai, yes, you're putting on tefillin today, so my shvua can't be effective. If I say I take a neder, that I will not get benefit from my tefillin, now, I can't put on my tefillin today, but of course I could borrow your tefillin and put them on and still do the mitzvah, which I will have to do. If I took a ridiculous netter and said, I said, every pair of tefillin in the world is forbidden to me, like a korban, so then 
I've painted myself into a corner. Even though God said I have to put on tefillin, but there's no particular tefillin I can put on because they're all forbidden to me. And therefore I can't do the mitzvah. It's like chopping off my arm or something. I'm just foolishly making it so I can't do the mitzvah. So that's what's happening in our Mishnah before with the wife. If I would say, I take a shvu, I'm not sleeping with my wife, that's not binding. If I take, if I'd say, I take a nether, my body's forbidden to my wife, that then it still would not be binding because she has a shibud, she has a pre-existing claim on my body because I took those commitments to her when I got married to her. But if I say, the benefit that I get from sleeping with my wife is forbidden to me, at least rabbinically, since rabbinically, a neder on a davar shem mamish and on something without substance is binding. So now I've painted myself into a corner where foolishly um, I can't, there's no way for me to sleep with my wife anymore because I have an, an existing neder rabbinically.